and gentlemen, I'm delighted to be here with you today. We gather today at a time of contrasts, a time when the people of Serbia glow in the victory of freedom in Belgrade, at a time when gloom descends in the Middle East as renewed violence batters the peace process. It is in this conflicting spirit of the triumph of liberty and the birth of new tensions that I meet with you, the leaders of tomorrow. And it is fitting that this summit takes place in England, where I came to study. Many of my fondest memories are rooted in this land. In all that has happened in my life since university, with all the transitions in the world, the changes in my homeland, and the challenges in my personal life, the carefree, carefree days on campus seem a distant dream. I share my own experiences today, my struggles as a leader, what I learned, what I accomplished, and what I would do differently if I am entrusted with leadership again. I share this in the hopes that each one of you will know that one person can make a difference. This is a difficult time for my, for my country and for all those who fought for freedom in Pakistan, only to see the military back in power. Since the democratic government was overthrown in 1996, Pakistan has drifted rudderless in a sea of conflict and violence. After my government's dismissal came the Nawaz regime's bid to impose a one-party dictatorship and my country's fragile institutions were dismantled one by one. The Nawaz regime sought to destroy the parliamentary opposition. It toppled the president, usurped the power of the courts and intimidated the press through terror. But in the end, it fell on its own sword. In trying to take over the army, the one institution that could defend itself, it made a monumental miscalculation. Now, we all pay the price. The civilian regime the generals overthrew was a puppet of extremist fundamentalist forces that had subverted democracy in 1996, installed a partisan interim administration and manipulated the electoral results. But many, therefore, were willing to give the military rulers an opportunity to deliver on their promises of institutional reform. The military leader, General Musharraf, modeled himself on Atarturk, the Turkish reformer who had modernized Turkey. But the clerics took to the streets in reaction and at odds with the major political parties, the military regime retreated, nervous about taking on the clerics and the agenda that they had set.
the inability of the military regime to implement a reformist agenda has led to a difficult situation. Our economy is sinking. Tens of thousands of public sector workers have been laid off. Guns pound on our borders as relations with India worsen. And unfortunately, our relations with the West have deteriorated too. In one short year since the coup, a small fundamentalist minority has become more aggressive, more strident. Ladies and gentlemen, for the people of Pakistan and for my party, the last four years have been a nightmare. Thousands of our supporters were arrested, including women and children. And there were others who were once again forced into exile. It seems to have become the fashion in the developing and the developed world to destroy leaders' reputations by innuendo and rumor. I saw this happen in Pakistan as the judicial process was abused by my opponents in a bid to eliminate my leadership. Jurists around the world denounced the attempts to abuse the justice system in Pakistan. And they included the former British Attorney General, Sir John Morris, two American Chief Justices, Justice David Harwell of South Carolina and Justice Burley Mitchell of North Carolina, and a recently retired Justice of Pakistan Supreme Court, Justice Kazi. But I found that issues of importance relating to poverty alleviation, of reconstructing peace, of negotiating world trade rules or reducing the gap between the rich and the poor were marginalized in this power struggle. Getting each other fair or foul became the new political idiom. And it took less than three years after the dismissal of the democratic government I had led for the men in uniform to take over the affairs of the country, making one simple, basic fact clear that Pakistan was in turmoil, and with it, stability in the whole region was threatened. And Pakistan is no ordinary country. It's a country that has detonated six nuclear devices in response to India's five it went to war with India three times in the last 50 years. It nearly went to war again last year in the frozen wastelands of an area called Kargil. It's a country of desperately poor people, rich in weapons of mass destruction. And Pakistan is no ordinary country. It's a country that has detonated six nuclear devices in response to India's five. It went to war with India three times in the last 50 years. It nearly went to war again last year in the frozen wastelands of an area called Kargil. It's a country of desperately poor people, rich 
and weapons of mass destruction. A country where powerful drug lords undermine civil rule. It's a country that refuses to live within its means. A country where men still kill women in the name of male pride. The democratic government I led did its best for Pakistan, but we failed in two critical areas, building peace with neighboring India and failing to enact an anti-corruption law leading to a more transparent society. But it is in such times that leadership is tested. For often, the best of leadership is constructed in the worst of times. Crises create qualities that we can be totally unaware of. Students, I am glad that America and the West are promoting democracy in Pakistan by insisting on a roadmap to that destination. For leadership is about speaking out boldly, speaking out not just for interests, but speaking out for principles that make up a value system. Public opinion is critical to the direction that my country will take as we head into this, the 21st century. And it will not be easy, but leadership is not meant to be easy. Leadership is born of a passion, of a commitment, a commitment to an idea, to a people, to a land. I travel never knowing when I will see my husband. He has been in prison for almost four years, a hostage to my political career. And when I travel, I miss my children. They are all under 12, and it's difficult explaining to little children why their mother can't be with them. But leadership does involve making family sacrifices. Leadership means rising beyond one's own needs and emotions and wants. Leadership is about being on call all the time, on call for good news, on call for bad news, on call to respond quickly, to think quickly, to move quickly. And leadership is a life dominated by schedules, but no patterns. Sometimes meetings can go on late into the night, and sometimes they start very early, and they can take place in different cities and in different groups and in weather that can change from hot to cold, and packing means preparing for all kinds of situation. Leadership is never knowing where you're going to be on your daughter's birthday, so it takes an emotional toll, and it's about endurance, about the capacity to endure in the face of adversity. And leadership is also about optimism, the belief that bad days must end and better days must come, and that suffering and separation are not eternal. Leadership is about stamina, the ability to absorb time changes, whilst crossing time zones, 
the ability to concentrate on one subject and yet to move from subject to subject, person to person and place to place. Leadership is about appearances, about appearing strong and confident and keeping the stiff upper lip when the going gets difficult. I'm often asked why I continue on a journey that is difficult and painful. I do so out of the belief that my leadership has changed much and can change more for my country and for all those denied the right to choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I had just completed my education and returned to Pakistan in 1977 when the tanks rumbled down in Rawalpindi and troops took over the Prime Minister's house. Fate took over my hands and my destiny was no longer my own. So some are born to leadership, whilst others have leadership thrust upon them. Many women leaders, particularly in South Asia, have been thrown into political waters. The assassin's bullet, the sound of boots, or unpredicted tragedy has thrust them into a role they might not otherwise have chosen. As a child of my age, I was influenced very much by the social ferment around me. I grew up at the time of the Vietnam War and protested with fellow students in America who did not want to fight a war they did not believe in. It was the time of the impeachment against President Nixon, a time when Martin Luther King spoke passionately about the rights of the have-nots, the blacks of America. And these important influences shaped my outlook on life, helped me focus on fighting injustice and safeguarding the rights of those who were weak. In America, I saw the power of people, their power to change policies, to change leaders, and to change history. And from Harvard, I went on to Oxford. While I was at Oxford, the Conservative Party chose Margaret Thatcher as the leader of the opposition. And the idea of Britain's first female prime minister became a hotly debated subject. At Oxford, I became the first female foreigner to be elected as president of the Oxford Union. I had been told that as a foreigner, I could not win and should not run. I had been told that as a woman, I could not win and should not run. But I did run, and I did win, and I did overcome my fear of losing. I learned never to give in when the task seemed formidable or impossible. I see that my time is running out, so I'm going to try and um, conclude. But I want to thank the Academy of Achievement for giving me this opportunity to be here with all of you today, for I address you at a remarkable moment of peace and freedom on a global scale, where the dignity of an individual is acknowledged, irrespective of race, gender, or religion. It's an era of galloping change, transforming the very nature of the lives that we lead through intelligent machines, bringing the world to our fingertips.
And as we move in the direction of a global community, building families and opportunities, I play my part in the land in which I was born. I play my part for the sake of democracy and gender equality. I play this part for your children and mine and for a tomorrow that is better than all the yesterdays that we have known. Thank you very much.